Philippians, uh, Philippians is called the joy book. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing from a jail cell. I've had the opportunity to visit in those jail cells, and I can tell you it's nothing compared to what we would have in mind as a place you'd want to be imprisoned in. It was nasty, rats, anything that you could imagine, the swallow of men, stench that was unbelievable. How is it that anyone could be able to write such a book except through the anointing of Christ Jesus? The pursuit of happiness. The Bible tells us that regardless of our circumstances, God calls upon us to say, you got something to be happy about. Luke, the 15th chapter, verse 10 says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Imagine with me the hundreds of children that will be at Circle J who will, by the hundreds, come down and openly confess and pray a little sinner's prayer that Jesus Christ has forgiven them and he is now their Lord. Can you imagine the celebration of the angels on that day? And that's what we're calling upon you to assist and help us with. Easter, we had thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands here on this campus and on our campus in Lakeside Village. We had many who gave their heart to Jesus Christ. Many individuals rejoiced because for the first time in a long, long, long time, someone that had a rift with one of the family members actually showed up to church, and we could replay that one over and over again. It seemed the power of the Holy Spirit was speaking to people, ministering in and through them on that particular day, Easter Sunday. And so we find that the angels rejoice when things like that happens. The Apostle Paul says from a jail cell, he gives words of admonition in Philippians, the third chapter, verse number one. And this is what he says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. What he's saying is, I will write it over and over and over again, just to encourage you that it is important to God, important to the kingdom, important to his church, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you maintain a fulfilling life, a joyful life, a happy life. We all know there are those seasons in which we have to fight through that, but never forget that God is still with us, even though those seasons are extremely unpleasant. Paul continues to write in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice to the church at Thessalonica. He says, rejoice always. Well, you might say, what about all this rejoicing? And you relate to your own challenge or your own problem. May I encourage you, if you remember the reason you ought to rejoice, it will have nothing to do with your financial challenge and nothing to do with your physical challenge, nothing to do with the misery level of your life, but you can have something to rejoice about. And we know, he says, when you remember, what do you rejoice about? When you remember this, that Jesus died and has forgiven you of all your sins. And he rose on the third day that you could be liberated from this body of clay and enjoy the blessings of the Lord for all of eternity. 
And then he wrote out adoption papers for you and said, you are now adopted into my family. If you know anything about Florida law, I can tell you that a biological child does not have the same standing as an adopted child necessarily in the family. A mom and dad, you can write out a biological child and say, I want to give them one dollar. I'm not giving you any ideas, but that's all they're going to get. But your adopted child, that is a legal transition that says that legal child, when you sign those legal papers, has a right to mom and dad's heritage and mom and dad's estate. So don't think you're second class when he says, I have adopted you into my family, and it was written in the blood of Jesus Christ. The reason that we enjoy, as the Bible says, I want you to be joyful. And the research around joyful people, here's what we found out. It will not be a surprise to you. Joyful people actually have more compassion than less joyful people. Joyful people are more financially generous than less joyful people. They develop more of a deeper friendship, those joyful people, than less joyful people. Not only that, joyful people are more resilient through hardships. They actually thrive better when they get ill because they are joyful. Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 8 verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And where joy increases, goodness and value increases. And as a believer, your joy is not just about you. It's not just about you to say, well, I, you know, even though I'm facing this mountain, I still feel the joy of the Lord because there are folks, at least 14, that are, according to the stats, that are looking at you and say they're a professing follower, so I want to watch them, I want to follow them, and if I follow them, that must be the way that you follow Jesus. Think about that for just a moment. They're watching you. People assume that if you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're not happy, there's only one of two reasons. That's what an unbeliever assumes. Number one, you're following Jesus wrongly, and you're not doing it right. And number two, you're following Jesus, and He just naturally makes you unhappy. And that's the one that most people believe to be the most. Following Jesus is not a happy thing. Too many requirements. You got to go to church. You're supposed to tithe. You're supposed to pray. You're supposed to read. Do all those things. You cannot be happy living that kind of life. That's what they assume. Boy, are they wrong when you see you pra- they see you practice all those things and you do it with a smile on your face. face. And if they see an unhappy Christian, they'll assume that's how Jesus is in everyone's life. That's why our mission as a church cannot be fulfilled unless we make our mind up. I'm going to be at peace with everybody that I know. I'm going to live a happy life. I'm going to make my own fun. How many of you are learning to do that? You just make your own fun. How many are learning how to do that? It's a, you can have fun anywhere, anytime, any place. Amen? As long as there are people around, you can have fun. Amen. I have fun all the time. You know, when I see a, when I'm down at Walmart or anywhere and I see a gal this high and a gal that high, I'm saying, that must be fun. (laughs) You know, she's got to look up and get on her tiptoes every time she gets a kiss. 
Amen? Some of you are that way. Unbelievable. And I have other thoughts. As ugly as he is, how in the world did he land the plane in her backyard? What in the world happened? You see, you just observe people. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. But let me tell you something. There's a real reason Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. There's a real reason that he's sharing his thought from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So let's get to the Scripture that's going to tip the cup in our direction. Here we go, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. And if you have any encouragement, writing from prison now, from being united with Christ, if any conduct from His love or comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in what? But in what? See, this is going to be a longer message than I thought. Y'all decided to whisper. But in what? That ain't much better. On three, let's say humility. I didn't count to three yet. Don't jump the gun. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Two, one. In humility, why did we do that little exercise? You're going to see how valuable it is in just a moment. Consider others. Consider others better than what? Oh, and here's where it gets real sticky. Each of you, turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. Each of you should look not only to your own interest. You know how we're going to see that play out in about 30 minutes? When you're leaving the church parking lot. You just watch. You just watch. You're in a long line or you're in the long line and you got some trying to come in from here. This happens right over here. People in that long line, have you noticed what they do? You're over here. They go. They dare not look to the left because they don't intend to let you out. So they won't look at you. Wouldn't it be wonderful? As I know that some of you do, and I do it because I'm the preacher. That I want to be first is always there. I let one out. Let two out. Let three out. And then I'm thinking, do I let four out? I let four out. And then I... (laughs) I don't want to look at number five. See, the point is consider others before you consider yourself. When you do that, Paul says that's going to be extremely important in the culture of Philippi. You see, Joseph Hellerman 
said Paul is deliberately getting ready to subvert the culture of Philippi. He's going to turn their thinking upside down. And how do we know that? Because we're about to observe the culture of Philippi, which was a part of the Roman world. It was a Roman colony. Roman culture was, was oriented to status and social recognition. You mattered if you had status. You mattered if you had social recognition. It was called honor. And everybody in that community, in that city, desired to have status and have position. And there were two ways to receive status. Number one, you brought honor to the family and yourself, or in fact, you brought shame to your family and yourself. And Rome was the most status-oriented part of culture of the ancient world. Ancient Roman Cicero said, by nature, we yearn and hunger for honor. And once we have glimpsed its radiance, there is nothing that we are not prepared to bear and suffer in order to secure it. I will get in front of you. I will beat you out. I will figure a way to get around you. I want to be number one. I want to be in the first chair. I don't want the second chair. And if you don't get it, it's your own fault. That was the culture in that day. No preferring your brother. It didn't matter if you didn't get it. It's just too bad, Lucille. The secret of happiness was simply this. Advance yourself. Promote yourself and serve yourself. You ever met anybody like that? It's all about them. Advance yourself, promote yourself, and serve yourself. Society was divided into two clear categories. This is what I studied. Number one, it was the elite and the non-elite. And let me suggest to you, according to what I've studied, is the elite was 2% of the entire population. The non-elite was 98%. 2% were the elite, 98% were the non-elite. And there were rankings in the elite and rankings in the non-elite. It was that much status-driven. These people, we, these people, as we understand it, that had no status, the bottom of the 98%, at the very bottom of the 98% were those called slaves. Slaves, they had no status, no honor, no control over their lives. They were, in fact, a slave to someone or something. They were at the bottom, just above the slave. In that 98% were individuals called freed, freed, F-R-E-E-D, freed men. They were over the slaves just a little bit. And then above them were individuals that were called citizens, of Rome. How did you become a citizen of Rome? You were born there. Your family is Roman. You are a citizen by virtue of your family. And those were the three categories in the bottom 98%. Now, in the elite group, the top 2%, the lowest level in the 2% or the elite group was an individual that they were called equestrians. Equestrians, they owned horses or had the ability to buy horses, and they would ride them into battle and they would use them. But even being an equestrian, owning horses, you were at the bottom of the 2% of the elite. 
Just over them were individuals that were called the Roman senators. These were individuals that you paid attention to. They had their life. They had authority. They had power. They answered to very little of anyone other than Caesar, but they were next, Equestrians, Roman senators. And then, of course, you had the emperor or Caesar himself. And listen carefully. We understand that the individuals and their status had identity opportunities. For example, a slave, you had nothing. There was no identity. You were just a slave, and that is it. But the freed people, which were just above the slaves, they had a special dumb-looking hat that they wore everywhere they went. That hat suggested you're a freed man. You're not a slave. Yes, I sure am. My freed hat. That's my hat. That's my recognition. That gives me status. And then, of course, after the freedmen, if you were a citizen, you could wear a toga. Citizen, you wore a toga, of course, and it says, I'm higher than a freedman. I wear a toga. And it was interesting. If you were a non-citizen, you were not permitted to wear a toga. You, my friend, if you were an equestrian, you could wear a toga and you could wear a gold ring. So you didn't get the hat, but you got a toga and you got a gold ring. And you might remember the book of James. This is what James said about those people. He said, don't fawn over somebody when they come in and they're wealthy and they wear the gold ring. They're just trying to show their status, trying to make it that they are somebody. The senators, the senators, of course, just under Caesar, they wore a gold ring they wore a toga, but they also had a purple stripe that went across their chest that indicated that they were just under Caesar. They really, really, really pranced around. The legal system, the legal system had a status rating that was there. Your rights and punishment would be very deliberate, and there was no equality in the law whatsoever. Roman citizens could not be flogged. But if you were not a Roman citizen, you could be flogged. You might remember they made a huge mistake with the Apostle Paul because he was a Roman citizen, and they flogged him. And that was a huge mistake in that day. The most dis dishonorable punishment in that day that you could get was being hung on a cross. The Romans believed in capital punishment. And they used many different forms of endeavoring to take your life. The most disgraceful and humiliating was the crucifixion. It was generally reserved for just slaves, the one that counted for nothing. The purpose to kill them publicly and to humiliate them and their family, bring them to the cross of crucifixion. And it was called the crucifixion of Rome, a slave's punishment. In Philippi, if you were going to a public event, the seating, of course, or an athletic contest or a theater, the front seats were reserved for the senators. They had prominence where they sat. After them were the equestrians. And that's where they sat. But if a, even a Roman citizen in the lower 98% were to sit in those seats, they were immediately arrested 
and in fact dealt with severely. Because why? I'll just take a seat up there and see what they do. It was law. Don't you dare touch those seats right there. If you were that senator, senator, there were a series of offices that you could have. It was, hey, status. In other words, if you wanted to go to another office that would take you to the corner office, you just simply would email and text Caesar. So I just want you to know, you made a great decision on that last decision that you made, and I applaud you. My family and I, we really appreciate your leadership. And you would text him again and again, and it might help you, and it might not. But when it did help you, he would say, you know what, you need to change offices and move up the ladder a little bit. And Caesar had that power. That favor came through him. And then, of course, in Roman culture, especially in Philippi, because it was the most status-driven city in the empire in that day, the Roman culture, you see, if you lost that status by something you did, something you said, or because someone else over you decided to embarrass you, they had the power, if you lost that elite status, you were being humbled. That was considered to be a curse. Nobody volunteered for it. No one ever said, I'd like to be humble today. But if it happened, they considered it the death nail to your future. One historian wrote, it is more uglifying to lose praise to go down than never to have been praised at all. And that was the life in the Roman Empire and particularly in Philippi. People lived their lives climbing the ladder, going for the status, and it was about them, their honor, their prestige. And we know that there are more records found in Philippi by the archaeologists, more records about that kind of lifestyle than any other city that so far has been excavated by those individuals looking for records. Now, knowing that, Paul understood that. Knowing that, now see if we can make sense and how it drives us in Philippians 2. Paul's writing to this community that we just described. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant slash slave, being made in human likeness. The very nature of God in the Old Testament when it's used to describe the manifestation of God's glory. In other words, Christ is clothed in God's glory and majesty and in splendor, but he did not consider his status as important and was willing to put on a vessel of clay. That did not make sense to the Philippians. It did not make sense to the Roman Empire. Paul continues. He's upsetting their culture. In your relationships, 
with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own. In other words, he was saying, I'm not climbing that ladder. But rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And when Jesus, we know there was that divine splendor There was no purple stripe. There was no gold ring. There was no citizen's toga. There was no freedman's cap. But he was a slave. Jesus had come from the highest position on his throne in heaven with a body of glory and was born as a child to dawn the fleshly body of human beings. He volunteered to downgrade big time. I've come not to be served, but I have come to serve. Take that mindset and put it in the context of the Philippian culture. And you'll find they are diametrically opposed to one another. But what culture are we often caught in endeavoring to emulate? What culture? The culture of the Philippians or the culture of Christ-centered living? Is it the culture of saying, I'm going to be first. I'm going to get there first. Don't butt in line. Is it the culture that says, if you didn't get the bird or get the worm, so sorry, If you didn't get the raise, so sorry, it belonged to me. That is mine. As opposed to saying, I deserve nothing. Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what matters to me most. Paul doesn't stop there. He says, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Nobody humbled themselves in that culture. You just didn't do it. It was an embarrassing, it's something you did not do. And it says, why did Jesus do it? Out of an act of obedience. Obedience was a curse word. It was known as a baby. It was known as a child who who would be delirious, that word obedient. It just, it was weakness, that word obedient. So you never bowed down. You were never obedient to anyone because it was about you. And therein is what gets in our way often of living the happy life, of living the life full of joy. We keep shooting our own feet. We keep getting in our own way. Our behavior just naturally wants to emulate the Philippian behavior. And Paul says and says to us today, Don't do that. That's not where the happy life is. The happy life is submitting yourselves as crucified under Jesus Christ. When the Romans read what Paul wrote, when the citizens of Philippi wrote, this is what they said. He went down on purpose. He humbled himself on purpose. He was crucified on purpose. He did that on purpose. That's not what you do. 
Philippians 2 verse 9, something else took place. Here's why. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, because Jesus humbled himself even to the death of the cross. God says, now I will act in his behalf, that he humbled himself even the death of a cross. He was obedient to my will, but there will come a day of honor. And that day of honor is this, one day, Every knee will bow of those who have died, those that are yet to be born. But when that happens, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. He will not be the slave. He will not be the crucified one. He will not be the one washing feet. He will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And because of his obedience, whether you like it or not, you will declare he is the son of the living God. That's the elevation that God gave to him. And he says that to you and me. If you want to be exalted eternally, learn this secret that is here. Paul says, one day, guys, it's going to be public. The man who freely gave, everybody is going to humble themselves, bow down at his feet, and the kingdom of God was birthing a brand new reality. Paul's saying, it's no wonder that the first shall be last, and the last will be first. For there come a day when you feel last and you feel like I'm serving. You feel like I'm the one giving. You feel like I'm the one sacrificing. You feel like I'm the one praying. I'm the one believing. I'm the one that's showing up for church. What happened to so-and-so? Here's what he says. Just understand, be obedient and serve because the day will come. Hallelujah. You will walk into the presence of Almighty God, just you, and he will put a robe on you and a crown on you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have served well. Come on in and take your place. Go over there and look at your match and, and you'll see what is happening to those who honored me. That's God. You see, if you pay attention, we pay attention to this. You'll think twice before you behave in a way that doesn't bring glory and honor to God. You'll think twice about not enjoying the fellowship with one another, not in doing that. The first will be last. And so now we know, and it makes sense to us in the Gospels, when Jesus is going along and picking out disciples, had they submitted resumes, Delta, none of them would have became a disciple. He picked the uncomely ones out. He picked the hard-headed ones out. And some of you hard-heads, some of us hard-heads say hallelujah. Let me, some of you hard-headed say hallelujah. Let me say it one more time. I want to see if your mouth moves. Some of you hard-headed ones say hallelujah. I want to see if some of you are moving your mouth like you should. I've been your pastor many of 30 years almost. How many think I'm a little bit hard-headed? Thank you so much. Three people. Thank you, Lord. 
What does he say to them? I want you to take up your cross. I want you to deny you. I want you to come and follow me. What did he just say? Exactly what Paul is writing in Philippians. I'm not calling you to get in a royal robe. I'm not calling you because we're going to give you some revved up chariots to ride around in. I'm not giving you a book so you can arrest people. I'm telling you, here's your job. You're going to help me with my ministry as a servant. You're going to take up your cross and it's not going to be about you. You're going to be able to walk in a way that you never would have done on your own. But in following me, you're going to find out the best life to live is the life of a servant. And you're going to understand that there are rewards in being a servant. There are rewards in being obedient. There are rewards in humbling yourselves that you will never get unless you do that. So don't sit back in the shadows. Step to the forefront. And so now it makes sense. That's what we are supposed to do. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? Does that mean you're just supposed to be a dummy all the time? Never supposed to have any pleasure? Never so I mean, just a slave? Can I tell you something? Being a slave is a good life to live when you have favor with the master. Amen? When you have favor with the master, being a slave is a good life. You don't have to worry about payroll. You businessmen say amen. You don't have to worry about taxes. You don't have to worry about telling anybody else what they want to do and they get right back in your face. You're just a slave servant and enjoying the life that God's called us to live. So Paul is saying in Philippians, Hey, getting status is not where it's at. If you get status, let other people put that status and that honor on you. But don't put it on yourselves. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you in Jesus' name. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Savior of the world. You're the one who has given us breath and given us life. And as we look around, not many of us in this room are hurting at all. We are blessed far beyond our wildest imagination. And God, don't let us murmur, complain with what we don't have. Let us learn to celebrate what we do have. Because I found that the Master always rewards those first who can celebrate what they do have as opposed to murmuring about what they don't have. So God is like the talents. The more that we're celebrated by that, you give more and more and more. I pray that you would help us all here this morning, that we would all remember that we want to be the elite bunch. We want to be the group that brings pleasure to the heart of the one who died for us on the cross of Calvary. And God, when we think about kids at Circle J and needing 100 people, we want to step up and say, God, I'm here to serve. It's not about me. It's about touching one little kid. I pray in Jesus' name, Father, that we'll not take any position that we have 
that will not take it with pride, but will say, God, with that position comes a whole lot of humility and comes a whole lot of obedience. Position does not make a person at all. It tests a person's life and humility. Just in case there are those, and there are many thousands listening online right now, and those of you in this room, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Would you do that? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I have sinned. I've made many mistakes. Many, many mistakes. And I need, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. Come into my heart, into my heart. and make me, make me whole. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. I want to be a sincere follower. I, sincere I desire to humble myself. I desire to be a servant, and I want you to be the Lord of everything in my life. I believe, Lord, that you will give me favor as I honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, everybody? I hope you uh, let the message resonate with you. I think it's important. I'm a, I'm a piece of work in progress. How many of you agree to that? I'm a piece of work in progress. I am. I guess, you know what? There's a joy in just giving it up. Amen? You hear me say, when people say you're hypocrites, yeah, and I'm, I'm the number one hypocrite down there. I don't always get it right. And if you follow me around and scrutinize every decision I make, you're going to find a wrong decision. If you follow me around all the time, you might see a behavior that just, boy, howdy, was not out of control a little bit. How many know what I'm talking about? Don't we appreciate being real with one another? Hello. Is that the way it is? But some of those idiocraties that I have is, for example, I don't like to hear people say, oh, yeah, they work for me. I hired them, particularly in ministry. Ministers are not hirelings. They are called of God. And those that are on the staff here, I tell you, we have some of the best of the best that individuals God has sent us. But you won't hear me the majority of the time, whether it's here or I'm away speaking somewhere. Oh yeah, they work for me. What is, who do you think you are? I don't even deserve a place. When you think of it, be careful how you talk. I fire. I heard. A, I had a pastor friend of mine say this yesterday in a conference. Yeah, I fired my youth pastor. I thought, you know, I didn't have time to tell him what I thought. Who do you think you are that you say you fired somebody, especially when it's a call man of God? Are, are you ever, is everybody with me? Yeah. It's like you fire. You, you. What do you think about the will of God? It's the same way as luck. Oh, I was lucky. What about the footsteps of righteous man, order of the Lord? And you get credit to luck. To the orbit, Alice. So let's work on those little things that make us look like hot shots. Amen? Amen. I did have a man one time who was in deep trouble who said to me, you think you know everything. And he was in trouble, deep neck, sin, etc. And I said to him, yep, you're right. I've already forgot more than you will ever know. And he hit my office door and slammed it. 
walked out. <laughs> we laugh about it now because he's back with his spouse and they're as happy as they've ever been. Loving Jesus, caring for one another. Let's be men and women who are servants. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, you've got somebody in your family that's crossways. You've got someone that's sick. You've got a need that you've been praying to God. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying now to me. If you have a need that you've been praying about it and it has not been answered yet, today is the day God is going to test your faith. So I'm going to ask you to slip down here and bring that again to the Lord as we sing this song, and then we'll give the benediction. Here we go, everybody.